Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Redeemer Bible Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at RedeemerSoCal.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, The Truth Teacher, Part 2. The original date of this message was the 21st of January, 2024. The songs that we just sang, And Can It Be, that is my favorite hymn. And I equally love the last two songs because they are just so centered on Jesus Christ and I so much need that in my heart and my life. I am Pastor Jason here, the senior pastor, and I have the, the privilege of bringing the word most Sundays here. And I'm so thankful that you all are here as well. If you are new and you would like to get to know us and you had any questions, please fill out this little connection welcome card and just give us your your name, some sort of point of contact. If there's something that you would like us to be praying for, we would love to pray for you. And if it's of a confidential nature that you only want the elders to pray, then please mark that little box. And for all of you that call RBC your family, please, please let us know too any prayer request that you might have. Vodi Bauckham is one of my favorite preachers and he sometimes says this as he's preaching. I won't even try to do Vodi Bauckham's voice because it's really low and deep and I'd, I wouldn't even do it justice, but he, he says, you should either say ouch or amen. And I believe this morning's gonna be a sermon like that. So if you wanna pretend like you wanna go to the bathroom and get out now, I wouldn't recommend that. The Lord has a good way of chasing after us and bringing truth to bear even when we run and try to dodge him. Turn with me to John chapter 14 as we, by God's wonderful grace, and if it is the Lord's will, if Jesus does not come back in the next 45 minutes or so, then we will finish John chapter 14. And this has been such a blessing in my own personal life. I just love John chapter 14. I've had several people tell me that this is their favorite chapter in all of the Bible. And as I I was coming back to preparing for today's message, and really you'll notice this is the truth teacher part two. It's going to be emphasizing the Holy Spirit, but I don't want us to miss out on really this is all about Jesus. This whole chapter is about Jesus Christ. This is all about the glorious gospel. And as I was coming here this morning, went outside and noticed it was raining buckets, so I had to go back in, grab an umbrella. So thankful for an umbrella. Make it out to my car, and I get this wonderful idea that it's not raining that much. I'll just put all my stuff in the back seat. I'll throw the umbrella in, run around, open up the front seat, and by then I'm sure just two or three little drops will fall on me. That was not the case. I I got pretty drenched. And as I sat in my car driving here wet and kind of having rain droplets come down over my eyes, it it, it dawned on me. And I, I wish that I was this saturated with the gospel day in and day out. That, that the gospel of Jesus Christ just oozed out of me, that it was, it was all over me all the time. And if you want more of the gospel, come back to John 14. Spend time 
drinking in the truths of John chapter 14. Let, let me just go back to the first six verses to ground us that this is all about Jesus and the Holy Spirit really is all about Jesus because if Jesus didn't do the work of redemption, then the Holy Spirit would not come. If Jesus wasn't so loving in all that he is, then he wouldn't have been thinking about them so much as himself and been encouraging them. The promised one's coming. Another helper just like me. What's amazing to me is as we get into John chapter 14, this whole aspect of Jesus telling the disciples hey, I'm leaving, but I'm coming again, coming back. This isn't new information. I could take us back to John 6, and and we'd see there that Jesus has been saying this over and over and over again. The problem is they're just like us. We we don't always want to hear what God has to say through his word to us. We'd rather do things our way and we'd rather stay focused on ourselves and truly love ourselves. And what we need is we need to speak and preach the gospel to ourselves each day. And this is a good place to go. Look at what Jesus says again to his disciples. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What is that? That is the gospel. It is only through believing in Jesus Christ that we can indeed be saved, that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can enter into a relationship with God. And then look at what he says, the love pouring out. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Why? Because he wants to be with us. But as we're going to see today, equally more so, he wants to be with the Father. And such a good perspective for us to have as we go through trials and incredibly hard circumstances, as I know many of you are going through right now. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus takes the gospel and he just shrinks it down and says this, Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is the glorious gospel. Jesus, we know, the world says, oh, there's many ways to God. There's many ways to true happiness, to finding joy, to finding fulfillment in your life. There is only one. And that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way. His claims are exclusive. Either you take him as a lunatic or you take him for what he says, the son of God. You can't have both. He's not a moral teacher. He's more than that. He claims to be more than that. He claims to be God. He is what? The truth. The world would tell us, oh no, this is truth. This is truth. In fact, just pick the truth that you want that best fits you and you just go with that. No, the only truth is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the word revealed to us in God's word. He is the truth. And finally, he is the life. It is only through Jesus Christ that eternal life is given, is received as a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he is the first fruits of that eternal life because what? He was raised from the dead. And so in that, he is our hope. He is our everything. Continuing on to the end of the gospel of John chapter 14. Let's begin in verse 24 to really lay down where we're going to spend our time this morning, 28 to 31. And this ministry, this helper, this gift, another helper, the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises. Why? Why does he promise? Well, we see it in Thomas. We see it in the disciples over and over again. Not only are they self-absorbed, not only do they love themselves more than they ought to love God, but they lack knowledge. They lack the ability to truly understand what God is telling them, what Jesus Christ is saying and what he is meaning, even though he says it over and over and over again. I'm going, but I'm coming back. I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be lifted up. All of this pointing to what? The cross that that stands behind me Sunday after Sunday after Sunday as a constant remembrance to us all, a reminder of the price that Jesus Christ paid for sin. No, we we need the Holy Spirit. Do you recognize that this morning? And the full significance of not just the Holy Spirit, but the words of Jesus as we saw that being emphasized last week. We need to love Jesus. I'm going to ask you that several times this morning. Do you love Jesus? But I'm not just going to ask you, do you love Jesus? I'm going to ask you, do you love Jesus completely? Are you satisfied with how much you love Jesus right here, right now? I hope the answer for all of us this morning is, no way. I don't love him as I ought. I don't love him as much as I should. And it's no wonder that in John chapter 14, Jesus puts this emphasis on love. Our love for him, his love for us, his love for the Father. Look at verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let's go from here. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, I pray that wherever we are at this morning in the the weight that 
might hang over some of our shoulders in trying circumstances, that you would, by your grace, by the gift spoken here of another helper, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by this man standing up preaching, but by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to hearts, that you would encourage as only you can encourage, that you would challenge only as you can challenge, and that you would remind us of all that we have because of your Son so that the Lord Jesus Christ would be honored and glorified this morning, not just in this time that we spend with one another, but as we go out from here and as you send us out into the world and all that we do, that we would live for you through your Son and the indwelling Holy Spirit. And if there is anyone here this morning who does not know you, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as their savior, has not repented of their sin, turned to you and believe and trusted in your son alone for salvation to pay the penalty for their sins. Lord, I pray that they would trust in you this morning, that you would open their blind eyes. And speak to us all this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we saw last week, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to spend time in the Word because the Holy Spirit does what? The Holy Spirit teaches us the Word. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes the Word clear to us. That isn't all that the Holy Spirit does. He also reminds us of the Word. Things that we read, things that Jesus said. As I said, the people in New Guinea, our Siawi people, they they said the word of God is like the arrows for the spirit of God that then uses the word to shoot us in our hearts and to prick our conscience to remind us of the truth to tell us how to honor him and then we go on and we saw that the Holy Spirit as he lives in us and indwells us and we respond to the Holy Spirit just as it talks about in Ephesians, Galatians, that we would, what? That we would live according to the Holy Spirit. We would walk by the Holy Spirit, that we would be filled, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. As we do that, the Holy Spirit will produce character that's the character of God. Attributes, perfections that are matched with our God. No doubt speaking too in the context of love. Where does this love for Jesus come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And yet the first thing that Jesus goes to is peace. And he qualifies it and clarifies it and says, not just any peace, it's not the peace that the, that the world will offer you. This is my peace. And I will give it to all who would believe unto me for salvation. And it is that peace that is what is so needed for them, not just as Jesus recognizes that that within so many hours he's going to be hanging on the cross and they're going to be watching all of this, which on the one hand has to tear our, our Savior, our Lord's heart apart. Not just the difficulty of watching him go through and all of their hopes and aspirations just shattered before their very eyes 
But they're going to need peace for what he has planned for them, for the job that he is going to give them, to be the ones who turn the world upside down with his glorious gospel, to be the ones that are going to literally take the words of God and write them on a page. They can't do any of this by themselves. They can only do this with the power of the Holy Spirit and they're gonna be placed in tons and tons of situations where the peace will be so hard for them to grasp. Be outside of them. It's an active peace that Jesus gives that operates through the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I didn't give you this definition, I believe, last week for peace, but I I want you to write this down because I believe it is such a good capsule of what biblical peace is. I didn't write down if I stole this from Piper, but I think this is pretty close to what Piper's definition would be. It's so good. True biblical peace is fearing nothing from God and being content with whatever we have been given by God. True biblical peace is fearing nothing from God and being content with whatever we have been given by God, no matter what that may be. So it's twofolded. On the one hand, it's having confidence, knowing that when Jesus hung on the cross, that he paid for your sin. And that as such, the very wrath of God will not come upon you. And the condemnation that that we all deserve because we are equally all sinners is not passed down to us, but it was passed on to his son. And he takes the wrath for us. And so as that, we have absolutely no fear from God. And isn't what they were dealing with was fear? Isn't that what we deal with as our hearts are troubled? as things come into our life that just don't seem to make sense and we're turned all upside down and we're tempted to despair and and, and our faith is wavering. I I can think of many times where, where I was like this. When we came home from the mission field after serving all those years in Papua New Guinea, I was convinced the Lord wanted me to to continue on in the ministry, in particular a preaching pastoral ministry. So I went to seminary to finish my seminary. And I chose to go to a school that taught two years of Hebrew and two years of Greek. And I showed up for my first Hebrew class and you can ask my wife what a mess I was. Oh, not, not before the first day, from the first day for probably the first month. I show up in that class and the, and the teacher says, okay, we're going to begin and we're going to start with the alphabet. Now say after me, and, and there's only eight guys in the class and seven of them, and you can guess which one wasn't doing this, seven of them just rattle off the entire Hebrew alphabet. And then because they thought it was fun, then they start singing this Hebrew alphabet song. And I'm just sitting there and, and, and seriously wanting to go to another class where everybody doesn't already know Hebrew and wondering if I'm in the wrong class, I I finally just raised my hand and I'm like, okay, I'm confused. I I thought we didn't take any kind of test to enter into this class. Prof, how how come all of them know this already? And and I don't know anything. I, I just learned not too long ago, it reads right to left. Are you kidding me? 
And then he kind of shook his head and one of the guys in the class who became a very good friend of mine, he says, oh, we took a six-week class that was like a prep class for this. And, and we studied for six weeks. We know the verbs all the way up to this level. They were already like six weeks ahead in the class. And you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to just wallow in despair and, and say how terrible it was that I wasn't prepared and my faith was wavering and I was double-minded and, 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 I, and, and where's the joy of the Lord? It was not near. But it wasn't because the joy of the Lord wasn't able to be near. It was because Jason got so focused on his circumstances that, that he pushed God aside. Even while I'm in seminary studying the word of God. We, we need to hear what the Lord has to teach us this morning. We need to understand where the joy of the Lord comes from and why at times the joy of the Lord is cut off from us. And, and we're not experiencing the joy of the Lord just as we don't always have the living and active peace of God from the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. So that's where we're going to continue this morning. From verse 27 where we know the first fruit that the Holy Spirit produces is this peace that fears nothing from God and recognizes that everything that we have has been by God's wonderful grace given to us. And so we're content in it, even in the trying circumstances that we find ourselves in. And then we see what else does the Holy Spirit produce besides this oh-so-significant true peace. It is this lasting joy. Lasting joy. Look at what Jesus says in verse 28. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. Notice again, he's pinning everything on what? On his word. If you're not in the word and you're not spending time in the word and you're not digging into the word and learning from the word, from God in his word and giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to teach you and to remind you, then how difficult will it be for you to have the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts and your minds? How about this lasting joy? But he goes on and he explains something so significant. After he points them to what I've told you, one, I go away, two, that I'm coming back, that should encourage you but look at what it does instead. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Notice what the conditional statement is on why they are not rejoicing. Why they are not filled with this joy. We could look at joy as a, as a good feeling in the soul that's produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. And in this, we would see joy as what? It's an emotion. It's a feeling that comes over us, closely akin to happiness, 
but it's again not like the peace of the world is of the world. The joy from the Lord is not a joy that you get in the world. Because the joy that Jesus is talking about in biblical joy is not based upon our circumstances. It's based on our relationship with God. It's based on our understanding of who he is. And from what Jesus says, do you see what their lack of joy was based on? Their lack of love for Jesus Christ. So again, I, I, ask, I ask us all as I've been asking myself this question, do you really love Jesus completely? I don't believe the question for them wasn't whether or not they loved Jesus. I believe they do love Jesus. They've been following Jesus. They've been with Jesus for these three years. And now they're so bummed. Why? Because he's leaving them. So that would appear like they love Jesus a lot. But the reality is Jesus has been talking about love over and over again. He's given them this example of love by washing their feet for them. He's given them a new commandment. This part of the new covenant to what? To love God and love others. And now he points at them. This is an admonishment. This is a correction. And he tells them, you should be full of joy, but instead you are, as he's said over and over again, your heart is troubled. You're fearful. That's what we see in verse 27. Why? Because of your lack of love for me. Because of your lack of love for me. They loved Jesus, but they didn't love him enough. Do you love him enough? Do you love him enough to spend time with him each day in the word? Do you love him enough to, to cut out that, that sin that, that continues to come? Do, do you love him enough to follow him no matter where he sends you? Are, are you like me and, and, and struggle with loving yourself more than you love him? That's what they were preoccupied with. They're preoccupied with their own problems. They're preoccupied with what Jesus leaving means for them. They're not thinking about Jesus at all. They're only thinking about who? They're only thinking about themselves. That's just what happens to us when we get in these trying circumstances. When we get in a place where physically our, our bodies are falling apart. Our families are falling apart. Work is falling apart. Finances are falling apart. Our house is falling apart. Our cars are falling apart. Then what happens? Then our eyes go off of him and loving him and our eyes go on the circumstances. And what Jesus is saying to them is, yes, I know you're overwhelmed. Yes, I know you're fearful. Yes, I know that your heart is troubled, but you need to focus on loving me. Really, I picture Jesus saying something like this. Are you kidding me, guys? Going to the Father, leaving you. This is what I've desired all my days on this earth. This is God the Father's plan. And I've been telling you, I am committed to obeying it fully. Don't you understand? It gives me pleasure to obey the Father. This is what I want to do and this is what's best for all of sinful humanity. This is what's best for you and all that will follow you and all those that you will preach the gospel to in my name. 
God is going to make a way for sinful humanity to be totally forgiven and made right with himself through my sacrificial death, through my obedience to the Father, for the debt of sin to be paid in full, but you aren't seeing things correctly, friends, brothers. So you are troubled and fearful. You need help in taking your eyes off yourself and placing them on what I have already told you and learning to be content with my Father's plan and rejoicing in his plan. What you need is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help you love me and love yourself less. This is where we go with John the Baptist, right? And less of me, more of him. Do you love Jesus enough? What a great lesson for us all. How many of us today as we sit here are fearful of some sort of situation that we're facing? How many of you have a troubled heart over some sort of information, text, email, whatever that you received this week? I'd include myself in this. After our time together last Sunday, I got an email from the field of Papua New Guinea from one of our, our good friends who's now in leadership, the one I've been in contact with, who told me back in October, hey, Jace, it looks fine if you guys would bring a team in July. Now he's like, um, we're having a problem with pilots. Like they're disappearing. Guys are going home on home assignment and they're not coming back. Some are sick. So during the summer at your appointed time to go to New Guinea in July, and go into your village. I, I'm sorry, we're only going to have one pilot during the summer. And he's going to be on vacation the very days that you want to be in Siawi. So you're going to have to find another plan. And so I wrote him, Oh, praise the Lord. I trust his leading. Sent that email, and then I was a wreck, <laughs> a total wreck. Why? Because I want things my way and I want things the easier way. Are you kidding? I've already told folks this is where we're going and we don't have the team assembled yet. This is where we're heading. And now, you're, now I have to tell everybody, oh, I don't even know when we're going. I don't even know for sure. Okay, I think we're going. And isn't this for you, Lord? Won't this be a blessing to the, to the church in Seattle? Won't this be a blessing to RBC? Oh, this will. But, but you know what happened? I, I became self-absorbed. My joy was robbed. My faith was faltering. And here I'm, I'm studying this. <laughs> and I'm being reminded the whole time, you are such a nerd. And how long have you been walking with me? How many times did, did I care for you on the mission field in your family? Have I given you any, any, any thing in in the past that would make you to consider that somehow I would not go before you? That I don't love you? That I'm not working all things according to my plan? For my glory and your good? You know what I needed? I needed self-counsel speaking the gospel into my own heart and my own life. Reminding me of how good Jesus is. Reminding me of what we're looking at here. 
man, if this peace isn't here right now, it's because I've got my eyes off of you. Do you know what happened is I centered everything on the gospel and I gave that over and I confessed my sin, my lack of faith, not trusting the Lord and wanted to take everything into my own hands. Then the peace came. That may not be that when I finally hear from my friend <laughs> that, that then that temptation will come again. So maybe you can relate. I recognize that, that some of you are going through things much more difficult than my email. But the answer is the same. The answer is loving Jesus, trusting him, and trusting him in all that he is allowing you to go through right now today, whatever that circumstance is. And how good is he? He's everlasting good. He is perfectly good. And he what? He is in this eternal relationship with the Godhead, right? He is the son of God. Let me just say this because this was so good and encouraging for me. Notice what he says at the end of 28. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the father for the father is greater than I. But what does Jesus mean? Is, is Jesus meaning as some heretics have said in church history, Oh, this proves that Jesus is not God. Look at he's subservient to God. So therefore he cannot be God. Are you kidding me? The entire gospel of John is telling us the complete opposite. Jesus has been saying over and over and over again that he is God, that he is the coming one, that he is the Messiah. So, so how do we frame this? How do we understand this? What does this mean? This means that he is one in essence. He is one in being and one in character and perfections with God, the Father, God, the Spirit. They are one in essence. They are one in being. And yet, in the way that they function and in their roles, they are not one in the same. And that they are distinct. And so as Jesus takes on human form and flesh, what does he do? He places himself under the will of the Father. Why? To give us this beautiful picture that that is how we are to live. We are to live our lives, placing our lives and our will under the will of Jesus Christ. And we say, not what I want to do, Jesus, but whatever you want me to do, informed by your word. And Philippians 2, 5 to 11 is such a good passage of scripture for us to look at to consider this. And to understand what this means. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He became a servant. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what is Jesus saying? He is saying that while he was on the earth, he was clearly in this state, unquestionably 
where the father was greater than him, that he did whatever the father told him to do. That does not mean that he ever stopped to be or stopped existing as God, that he ceased to be God. He was fully God. But in order to pay for the price of sin, he became man. And as man, he submitted to the Father to purchase redemption. So when we're in times of of trial and struggle and we're really wondering about where is the joy of the Lord? Where is the peace of Jesus in my heart and in my life? I would encourage you to go to Psalms. A Psalm like Psalm 42, 5, where David in it, in a very quick synopsis of really life, says this, why are you downcast, oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? That's where so many of us are at times. And if you look at other Psalms, you'll, you'll see David or you'll see Asaph or, Asaph or you'll see others, and they'll spend a whole bunch of Psalms talking about how terribly hard the life is that they're living right there at that time, looking like they have no hope, looking like they're incredibly depressed and then the next set of verses right after those in the same psalm will be, oh, but then I came into the sanctuary of the Lord and my gaze was upon the Lord and I knew the hope and I knew his salvation and that's exactly where Psalm 42.5 goes. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Oh, the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ to give us not only his peace by giving us the Holy Spirit and allowing that peace to be produced, but by also giving us this joy, this lasting joy that goes beyond our circumstances. And then we see what? Then we see the Holy Spirit also produces what I'm gonna call a secure faith. A secure faith. Look at verse 29. And notice how Jesus pens this, how how he presents this. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, again, he's talking about his word. Hey, I've already said this to you, but you still haven't gotten it. But later on, it will become clear to you. And at that point, when it becomes clear to you that all that I have told you was going to happen, indeed has happened now right before your eyes, what is that going to do? That is going to make your faith more and more secure. So that when it happens, you may believe. They already believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We've seen Peter make that profession of faith. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that our faith is not stagnant, that your faith in Jesus Christ continues to grow, and my faith in Jesus Christ continues to grow. And we must understand that if we are basing our faith on the words of Jesus Christ, then our faith is secure because everything that he says is going to happen will happen. And not only that, it will happen exactly the way that he said it would happen. But let me get into faith just a little bit. Because I've heard this illustration and you would agree with me. Right now you're sitting in these chairs and and what are you trusting in? That they're not going to break. That you're not going to end up falling. You get in your car, you got in your car this morning 
and you were trusting in your car. You were trusting that the starter was going to work, that your battery wasn't dead, that your windshield wipers were going to work, that your car was going to take you from your home to the church. Oh, I'm with you, but that's not biblical faith. That's believing in a thing, an inanimate object. Do you understand what we have as a relationship? And so when we consider biblical faith, it is not faith in something. It is faith in a person, in the person, in the God, man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is believing in him. John Piper puts it like this. It is a personal and treasuring trust. I love that. Why? Because as you grow in your faith, the more and more you treasure Jesus Christ and you love him more and more. And as that happens, your faith grows. And what is the Holy Spirit's job? He is to produce that. You see it in Galatians 5, 22, where it's it's called what? Faithfulness. It's an aspect of our faith. Jesus' words are entirely trustworthy and reliable. And God's word is our steady anchor and firm foundation that we can indeed cling to, stand upon, and recognize that it is true. And so as a result, when our faith wavers, it's not because the word of God has wavered. It's not because Jesus' love for us has wavered. It's the other side. It's we're like the disciples and our love for him is wavering. And all of our circumstances are becoming bigger than our God. And that should never be the case. So what do we need to do? We need to drink deeply from what Jesus says here. Sinking your teeth of faith into what Jesus says about how what he says will happen just as he says it will happen. Again, I needed to be reminded of this, this last week. In receiving the news, continued to be reminded of this on Thursday as I was eating a sandwich and had a little bit of bacon in it and it just drove up to the top of my mouth and I just had major tooth pain. How do you respond when something like that happens? Do do you just wallow in misery? Or do you use it as an opportunity to say, okay, Lord, how is this gonna work out? Help me to walk with you through this, even in a, a toothache and tooth pain. And now I'm thinking too, oh, is, is this gonna affect the trip to New Guinea? That's where Jason's mind goes. And I start to create all these bridges I'm gonna have to jump over. And God says, no, trust me. Walk with me day by day by day and I will get you there. Look at the promises that we see in God's word. We already saw them in John 14 last week as I walked you through. Think about Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where Jesus says this, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you what? Rest. What a powerful word. But notice the condition, you have to come to him. Not come to whoever. Not run to your pastor first, not even run to your wife or your husband or run to some guru over here. No, you go to Jesus because he loves you and he cares for your soul and he knows you better than anyone. John six thirty seven. all those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never what? Drive away. Jesus is 
never further away from you than he is now if he is your savior. But what happens is we get things all switched upside down and we think, oh man, it's, it's awfully dark here. It must be because Jesus isn't here. No, Jesus is here. Are you loving him? What will Jesus do? Jesus will show us what we need to know through his word. John 14, three, we already read this. This is so encouraging, but I don't think we think of it in terms of getting us through. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. What is that speaking of? That's speaking of a savior who loves you. That's speaking of a shepherd who can't be away from his sheep for too much longer. Do you recognize that when Jesus is talking about the joy that they're missing out on, that they were so consumed with themselves that they misunderstood that what they should have been thinking about is what that would mean to Jesus. What did Jesus desire? He desired not only to do the will of the Father, he desired to go back to be with the Father as he was before everything, before he took on human form and flesh to exist back in that glorious state with the Father. And so in that, they were again being self-centered and they weren't even considering Jesus. That's what we do. We do the same exact thing. We become so absorbed with ourselves. And so then as a result, our, our faith starts to waver. And Jesus recognizes that. So what does he do? He gives us also a greater understanding of hope which is what we see next, a victorious hope. Notice how I I describe it. I could say an eternal hope. I could say a coming hope. This is victorious hope. Why? Because it reveals to us that Jesus Christ is the victor. Look at what he says in verse 30. I'll not speak much more with you. Again, speaking of his words, because they are significant and important. For the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me, or you could have translated nothing on me. Who's he speaking of? He's speaking of Satan. No doubt he's talking about the fact that soon Judas Iscariot is coming and that Satan is the one driving him. And so when Judas comes, really it's Satan. And so Jesus is no doubt speaking of Satan. Him coming. And yet we must recognize that this Satan battling Jesus and God has happened from the beginning, ever since Satan rebelled. Going back to the garden and then humanity. But in the life of Jesus, we've, we've seen over and over again, right from the start, that Satan's desire is what? To kill and destroy Jesus. That's the reason why the the leaders of the nation of Israel come after Jesus again and again and again because Satan wants Jesus dead. That's the reason why in Matthew, Luke, Matthew 2, 13 to 16, what, what, what do we see there? He wants to kill Jesus. The Magi... Don't tell him. 
So what does he do? Herod goes after everybody. Small boys, little baby infant boys are in mass slaughtered. Why? Because Satan wants Jesus dead. It's interesting as you go to Luke 4 and you look at the temptations of Jesus, it's not just isolated to that particular time where Satan tempts Jesus. We're only given three things that he tempts him with. But in Luke 4, verse 13, it says at the end, when the devil had finished every temptation, which makes me to believe it was a lot more than three, he left him until an opportune time. He left him so that he could come back and tempt him, so he could come back and try to kill him over and over and over again. And yet, did he kill him? Was Satan the victor? No, Jesus would say, he has nothing on me, nothing in me. You're mistaken if you think that Satan won, that that's why Jesus went to the cross. No, Jesus went to the cross because why? It was the will of the Father. So when he says, Satan has nothing on me, you're in me, he is meaning that that there's no accusation he can make against the Son of God. There is no claim of judgment of some sin that Jesus did that he can then show, oh, he is not worthy. Instead, Jesus is completely worthy. He is perfect in all aspects of his humanity in the way that he lived. So he cannot be condemned either by his actions or by his thoughts. And so in this, what is Jesus doing? He is giving a battle cry. Long before he hangs on the cross, long before he dies, and then three days raises from the dead, he already knows the end of this story. And he's giving a battle cry to us so that we know, man, when Jesus says something is going to happen, it's going to happen exactly the way that he says it's going to happen. And when he says that he wins in the end and that he restores all things, making all things new, And that there is coming a great white throne judgment where all the unsaved will indeed be saved and cast into hell for all of eternity to be punished along with Satan and all the angels that are now demons that followed him, then that indeed will happen and your eternal state is at stake. At stake. Do you understand the significance of what Jesus is saying? And yet flipped on the other side, for those of us who have believed, this gives us a victorious hope. That there is nothing that can take our hope away from us. Because Jesus Christ was crucified. He did die. He was buried. But three days later, he conquered death. He conquered sin. And he conquered Satan. And now he's the first fruits of all those that would raise from the dead. And that is why we have such a sweet and victorious hope. But we're not done. There is something else that Jesus wants to remind us of. There is something else that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and in our lives to produce. And that is an intentional obedience. Look at how Jesus wraps everything up. after claiming the victory that he's going to have over Satan, over sin, over death, 
Then he says, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. So that the entire world, not just the Jews, but the entire world, because that's God's heartbeat. Again, what is this? This is the glorious gospel. This is the gospel needs to go until all have heard that all might be saved, not that all will be saved, but an opportunity to hear. And notice what Jesus says. Why does he do what he's doing? Does he say, because I love you, I'm going to hang upon the cross? No, he says, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. So is there an aspect as we consider Jesus hanging on the cross and that you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? And as so many songs would say, that he was thinking of you while he was hanging upon that cross. Well, well that would agree with John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That would agree with Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us while, while you were yet a sinner. Christ died for you. But I'm going to say this is emphasis, not exclusion. So it's not that. That isn't a picture of his love for us. But what is greater and what is of utmost significance as described and shown for us again and again and again in the life of Jesus Christ was what? His obedience to the Father's will. That is why he goes to the cross and we must not forget that. Say it like this, before Jesus was thinking of you, he was thinking of him. Can I say that emphatically? Yes, he's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. We, we had a starting point. His father in heaven, who he lived his entire life to obey and to do the will of, that is who he was desiring to please. I think at times we are far too quick to make everything about us while everything should be first and foremost about God, about the Father. And isn't it amazing that Jesus would say all of this just to what ground us in his glorious gospel so that no matter what comes, what may, that we would honor him all of our days and walk before him through the empowering of this wonderful gift that we've been given, the Holy Spirit. There's a point to ponder that you can look at throughout this week. Consider how after Jesus describes how the Holy Spirit will teach us his word. He then goes on to talk about our peace, joy, faith, hope, and obedience. Do you see the fruit of the Spirit actively being produced in your life? And an even more difficult question, do others see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? What do you think would help you see more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. I've given us one answer for sure, loving Jesus more, spending more time in the Word of God to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to, to speak truth into your life and to make the truth known and then remind you of the truth. That that then what? Our love for Jesus leads to our Obedience, our intentional obedience as pictured in the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Let me pray us out. Heavenly Father, we stop and we do thank you so much for your word. For without it, we would be so ignorant. We would not know truth. But instead, because you have given us your word, we hold the truth in our hands. And we thank you that you have also given us the Holy Spirit who is also said to be the spirit of truth. Lord, work in our lives that we would want to spend more time in your word. That you would challenge us with the question of whether or not we love Jesus enough. And that we would desire to love your son more and more. And that that love of Jesus would work itself out in the way that we obey him. And it's in the name of your wonderful son, our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.